Hello, everybody. It's good to see you. It's so good to be here. I want to say hello to uh, Christ Community West and uh, the home congregation that I am from, Christ Community Downtown at Zoe's. Um, I'm so excited for tonight, except for the fact that I had um, this horrible dream about being here. Um, I had this dream. I, I did. It was really bad. And it, it tends to pop, pop up every now and again if I'm kind of anxious. It's, it's the typical dream of I'm up in front of a lot of people and I don't have clothes on. Do you know what I mean? It's like that, like, there I am, and there you are, and then I am fully aware that I don't have clothes on, and so are you, but you don't say anything, and you don't offer me clothes either, and so then there's this, like, tension of, do I keep going? Do I go off stage? And so I, I just pretend to plow through it as if everything's okay, but you and I both know it's not, and so I had this bad dream about being here tonight, and um. I got clothes, so we're good. Um, but this dream, um, it, it points out something, right? Like, this is a very common dream for a bunch of us. It's, you know, this idea, this fear of being vulnerable, this fear of being exposed, um, the fear of possibly I'm going to be found out, you know, that the things I'm talking about, I really don't know, right? you know, it's like that, that whole kind of thing, and, and do I really have anything to offer, and, and do I really believe these things, and should I really be up here, I don't know, types of things, you know, and it's, it's kind of all packaged in this dream, and I think, you know, a, a bunch of us have that in common, the places that we are, the people that we are, the things that we say, you know, we have these ideas of like, what if people actually knew me? You know, what if, you know, people actually knew what I actually believed or how I felt about things? What if I was exposed? And do you know what I mean? Like, um, for me, uh, a common story would be whenever I first got married, right? Like, people are like, being married is awesome, you know, it's the best thing ever. And I'm like, really? Because this is really different than awesome. You know what I mean? Like, this is the hardest thing ever, and help, or, but I would say, this is great, high five, we're husbands, you know? And, you know, it's like, man, we're both faking, or, or the day my son was born, you know, like that's supposed to be awesome, right, you know, and everyone's like, man, being a father is the best thing in the world, you know, that can ever happen, it's awesome, and it's just great, and I'm like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing, and this is horrible, but it's awesome, right, you know, and, and, and we pretend, you know, we pretend a lot, all right, and because we like have to put on this persona that we have it all together and that, that, that we have all the answers and we know everything, especially when it comes to the Bible, right? Especially when it comes to the Bible. Like, like typically, whenever we talk about the Bible, we're like, man, it's awesome and all the answers are in here and I believe it 100% and, you know, and I'm so excited about the Bible. But if you're honest about it, you're like, it's really boring, you know, like really, when I open the Bible, it's boring, and I have to force myself to be, to be in here. But the thing we're telling people is, you know, I get up every morning, and I'm in the Bible, and God meets me there, right? But, but it's simply like, you, you're half awake, and God doesn't show up, and the Bible's really boring that day, and you're like, you just force yourself to do it, saying, is there anything else in here? And we just keep going through it and trying to plow through it because 
Do you guys hear other people who encounter the Bible and these huge things come out of it, right? And they see these big stories and connections and they, they, they like cause the Bible to come to life. And so, so whenever they talk about it, you're like, yeah, me too, that's awesome. But you're like, where does he get that stuff, you know? And I don't see that, right? And, and so we have this this fear and anxiety of being honest about our faith and being honest about the Bible and being honest about the scriptures and what, you know, what we believe and what we're not sure. And, you know, but it's supposed to be great. I heard this quote from this pastor in California who says this. Most people read the Bible as if it is a manuscript of conformity. But what it actually is is a manifesto of creativity. That's quotable. Right? So write that down. Most people read the Bible as if it is a manuscript of conformity. But what it really is, is a manifesto of creativity. The big difference here is a manuscript is something to be read. Right? You read it. And anyone can read it. But a manifesto is something to be experienced. It's something to join. It's something, you know, to engage in and to experience. The difference between someone who says, the Bible is amazing and this and this and this, and someone's like, the Bible's amazing or it's supposed to be, is the manuscript idea compared to the manifesto. It's all about experience compared to just reading experience compared to just reading. But the problem is, is that a bunch of us are scared of experiences. We like things that are comfortable, and reading is comfortable, but experiences actually change our hearts and change our stories, and we're terrified of it. I just recently have engaged in a brand new experience. Um, I got beehives. And I, I got beehives, and beehives are terrifying. I'm scared of bees, and, and now I have 20,000 bees in my backyard, and they're flying around. And bees make honey, which is beautiful and sweet, but it comes out of this terrifying experience for me. Did you know that rabbis thousands of years ago began to teach about the Bible through the use of honey? Check this out. So, whenever every boy, every Jewish boy is five years old, um, he goes to Torah school. This is, you know, the first five books of the Bible to be taught Torah. And on the first day of school, um, these boys are given slates. And they're like chalkboards, right? They're like these tiny little chalkboards. And these slates are what the boys are going to have forever, Okay, they're going to study everything on these slates and they're going to write on it and they're going to memorize things on it. It's going to be great. And so on the first day of school, what the, the rabbi does is he passes out these slates and then he passes out the chalk and these boys are like really excited, you know, to get into things, to get their hands dirty. But the first thing that the rabbi does is he takes a bowl of honey and a big brush, and then he takes the brush and he dips it in the honey and he puts it all over the slate. All over the slate. And then after he covers every boy's slate with honey, he backs away and he says, lick it all off. Right? He doesn't give him a spoon. He's like, lick it. And so you just picture this, like, like 45, five-year-old boys just going to town on this slate. 
And so as they're going to town, licking all this honey off, he says, as you are, in, as you are in, in, eating this, as you're consuming the honey and the sweetness and the goodness and, 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 and the vigor behind it, this is how you should approach the scripture studies every day. May you know that the Bible is sweet, even when it tastes bitter a lot of times. May you have vigor behind you as you consume it, even though at times it shall be slow and boring. May you experience the sweetness of the word of God. And this is beautiful. This is beautiful. Right? And so today, the passage that we are going to go to, to study, to experience its sweetness, is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verse 28 through 32. All right? And it's going to be a fun one. I'm excited, as you can tell. All right. So here we go. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if they were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, and the day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. Then he was at the table with them, and he broke bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. At that point, he disappeared from their sight. And then they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, we talked, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So, context. This is after Jesus comes back from the dead. He encounters these two disciples. The disciples and, and Jesus go on this journey journey together. But the disciples have no idea that this is Jesus. How that happens, I have no idea, right? That's ridiculous. Anyway, they have no idea who he is. And they're on this journey, and it says he opens the scriptures to them. And so then they invite him to their house, and he does this thing. Like, he produces a loaf of bread, and he breaks it, and he blesses it, right? You know, the story. And at that point, it says their eyes were opened, right? And they knew it was him. It was Jesus. And so whenever they all had the aha, like, oh my gosh, it's Jesus, he vanishes. That's awesome. You know, poof, he's gone. And then they're like, how could we miss this? How could we miss it? Were our hearts not burning whenever he opened the scriptures to us, Right? And so this is our passage. The, the part I want to focus on, okay, because it's a really cool story, but there's this tiny little thing I want us to focus on. It's this term opened, okay? It pops up twice here. There's this term open. It's diagono, right? Diagono in Greek is this powerful word, diagono. It sounds like Domino's pizza or something. Domino. Um, diagono. In, in, in what diagono means, it's the fullness of expression or the fullness of purpose or to function as it's supposed to in perfection. I, I don't know how to better say that. It's, it's, it's 100% of what it's supposed to be, 
right? And this term, diagonal, pops up a couple times throughout the Bible, and I'm going to talk about that soon. But this is a big deal because in this passage, it doesn't say, does our heart, didn't our hearts burn whenever Jesus read the scriptures to us? No, it says, didn't our hearts burn whenever Jesus opened the scriptures to us? This is different. This is an experiential term. And, and, and it's this fullness of what life term. And the other place that it's found in the Bible is whenever Jesus heals the eyes of a blind man, right? He's blind, which means he can't see. And um, he's blind, he can't see. And then Jesus, you know, spits in his hands and puts it in the mud and puts it in his eyes, you know. And, and it says his eyes were opened. Well, technically, his eyes were always open. It, you know, he was the guy he couldn't see, but his eyes were always open, so it's creepy. And so it's like, can he see me or not? And, and so he had eyes, and his eyes were open. They were there. They were physically there, but they didn't work, okay? His, he had eyes, but they didn't work. You can have something, you can do something, but it can be diagonaled. Do you know what I mean? Like, it can be opened up. It can be, be caused to work how it's supposed to be, to function as it's supposed to be. And in this passage, it says, Jesus diagonaled the scriptures, which is saying that the scriptures weren't working on their own, right? Right? They had to be opened. They had to be opened up. They had to be breathed in. They had to be brought to life. And Jesus did that. And when Jesus diagonaled the scriptures, whenever he opened the scriptures, whenever he caused the blind to see and the deaf to hear, that's what he did to the scriptures that people have been bounding their heads against forever. And he opened them up. He brought fullness to them. And here it is. And, and, and the effect of that is their hearts were burning, right? Their hearts were burning because the scriptures came alive. Have you ever encountered a story that caused your heart to come alive, right? Because this is what happens here. You know, for the first time, like, openness, fullness, this engagement of the scriptures that they came alive. For instance, have you ever seen the best movie ever? And you say, yes, I have. No, you haven't. The, the never-ending story. Who has seen the never-ending story? Hands up, because you are awesome, my friends. Okay, so the, my favorite movie, the, Never ending story, right? It's about this boy who's probably 10 years old who loves to read to escape the reality of our, this daily life. A bunch of us go to the Bible to do that, right? We go to the Bible to escape the reality of our daily life. Anyway, he loves to read and he's read all these books and he finds himself in this bookstore and there's this bookkeeper who's reading this book. Who's, it's like this big, beautiful book. Anyway, and he's like, can I have that book? And the bookkeeper puts his hand on it he's like, this book is different. And uh, if you read this book, there's no turning back. And, and so, so this is the opening of the whole show, and he steals the book, and then he goes you know, to the school, and he hides up in the attic, and he opens this book, and he starts to read. And everything he starts to read actually starts to come to life. And he finds that his character and his story actually pops up in the story. And so, so as he's reading it, you know, he sees his name in the story, and the more he reads, the more he happens, and he shouts out, that's impossible! And the people in the story hear it, and, and it's just like this mind-boggling, that's what happens when the scriptures are diagonaled. 
You know what I'm saying? It's, it's whenever we encounter the scriptures, we start to see the, like we're not reading the story of, of someone else. We're actually reading our stories. And the more we read, the more we read, and the more we know about what? Us. And the more our story is engaged in there and like, that's my name. This is beautiful. So what does it look like to experience the scriptures as a burning manifesto within our hearts? And how is that even possible for us? Well, there's this ancient Jewish tradition that I think is really cool Whenever a Jewish rabbi becomes a rabbi, they're given a passage, a single passage, which could be anywhere from two words to 25. And this rabbi from the age of 22 to 25, he will have this passage to study the rest of his life. This is his passage that he will pine over and he, he will pull it apart and he will he'll study every character of every word and every syllable and every, for his entire life. And he'll talk about this passage to everyone he encounters because this is his passage. And then at the end of his life, you know, he's super old and he has this big Hebraic beard and a little thing in the hat. And I picture him, he's at this desk and he has the, the feather quill pen and stuff. And, he, and this is what actually happens. There's this book that he writes everything that he's studied in. And at the end, before he dies, he'll say something like, my name is Rabbi blah, blah, blah. And I have studied, you know, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 for my entire life, and that is, you know, 74 years, blah, 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 days, and blah, 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 blah. I have been on quite the adventure and quite the journey, and some would call me the expert on this passage, but I will tell you, I have not even begun to scratch the surface of the truth of this passage. What would it look like to approach the scriptures in this depth, in this idea of journey, in this idea of companionship, in this idea of experience, and furthermore, this idea of humility. That, that I will be in here, and I will engage this journey, but I will not become the expert on it, and I will not know. This is beautiful. So today, I want to offer you the, the experience um, that, that a bunch of Jewish people do to engage the Bible. Some of you will have heard this before, but there's a five-part experience. Um, they're all contingent upon each other. Um, so you can't pick one and say, I'll just do that one and be, aw be awesome at it, you know, and get the whole thing. There's this embodiment of experience that's engagement that you have to have all five. It's kind of like putting on your clothes. You're not just going to put on your pair of pants and say, I got dressed, you know. You're not dressed. You got pants on, right? Um, so um, this is all about how do we experience the Bible? How do we go from reading the Bible to experiencing the Bible, right? Ironically, the first thing of to experience it is reading it. It's called Peshat. Uh, Peshat is, is in, in the actual term Peshat is, means Passover. Um, the, the 
feast of Passover. It's called Peshat. Um, so, but the first thing, the first practice is this practice of Passover. It's the actual reading of the scriptures because that's important. It can't get into you. You cannot experience it if you don't read it. The first, the first level of engagement is, is reading. You need to read the scripture. Some people will read the same passage over and over and over and over for years, and every day they get something new from it. It's beautiful. We need to read the scriptures. Peshat, this is the first experience of the scriptures, and that's super obvious, I know, sorry. But some things are obvious. But we don't do them anyway, do we? Anyway, so um, Peshat, the Passover. And then the next one is called Drosh, drosh. Um, drosh is um, the context, the experience, the principal truth. And a bunch of us don't really ever go there. It's, it's here's this passage and here's what I think it means. But the drosh is, is I'm going to look at this passage and who said this passage and who's he talking to and what's the bigger story and and. and what are the different things that are happening here? And what is the overarching truth of this passage? What is the principal truth? This is drosh, right? And then, um, then here's where the fun begins. So, so we go, the pastor, which is the reading, and then the drosh is all about context and story. And so it's big. You have to do some homework here, right? It's like there's, there's places to go. It's, it's not clear, you know? And so then there's this called the remez. And what the remez is, is it's the poetry of it all, right? Because, because the Bible is brilliant, okay? This is the part where those people you hear talking and they're like tying all these things together and like this and this and this. And it's like a big group is huge. They get the remez. Do you know what I mean? They get the overarching poetry and the beauty and the, the story. And, but is that the whole thing? No, right? No, but it's there and it's gorgeous and it's beautiful. And, and so you start to look at the stories and themes and, and you say, how does this passage embody this and fall into this? And is there any story? Like for me, anytime I see the image of, of a, a loaf of bread, you know, you're like, whoa, what's he talking about, bread, you know? Or a meal, you know, or a, a cup of fine, or, you know, it isn't by happenstance that the first miracle of Christ, you know, was he turned water into wine. Why? Remez, you know, like you look at the whole story, the broader picture, the poetry, and the deeper meaning of things, and it becomes beautiful. And then a bunch of you will say, what the heck is he talking about? That's for you to find out. That's the journey and the experience. You know what I'm saying? Right, okay, so, so we have this, and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm reading this, and I'm putting it into context, and then I see the story and the poetry, and it's beautiful. God's people are creative, you know? Like, wow, how did they do this? And then it comes to uh, this experience called Sud, Sud, S-O-D. And what Sud is, it's the spiritual meaning, the spiritual meaning. A bunch of us try to jump the gun. We try you know, to just read it and say, spiritual meaning, this is what it means to me. I don't care what it means to you, right? I don't care. But whenever we experience the scriptures as they've been opened through the Spirit, 
right? It, it can speak, and it does speak to us, and it's beautiful, and it's good, and God teaches us. Like, the Holy Spirit, I believe, is a great teacher, and the Holy Spirit is wisdom, and, he, and the Holy Spirit brings wisdom, and goodness, and beauty, and whenever we invite the Holy Spirit into a scripture, it speaks and teaches us good, new, beautiful things that oftentimes are actually very old, and that's when we're invited in on this experience, the manifesto of creativity, right? And then it's everyone's favorite part of experience called Midrash. And what Midrash is, is the oral dialogue, right? And Jewish people love Midrash. What Midrash is, is it's, in, it's uh, you know, you get all these people together and they have all studied a passage and they say, what do you think? And some would say, well, here's what I think, and here's what I've learned. And, and some would say, well, this is what I think. And someone else would say, well, this is what I learned, and this is what I think. The goal of Midrash is never to agree. It's to learn, and it's to challenge, and it's to grow. It isn't to say, well, this is what it means. It's clear. It's to say, you know, here's what I had an experience with, and it was this, and it was this, and it was this, and it was this. And everyone's like, but mine was this, and this is this. Which one's true? And they would say, yes! There's a saying of if there's 10 different rabbis per room, there'll be 12 different opinions, right? Like, there's just all these, you know, it's like, because God, a personal relationship with Jesus is personal. We're not all trying to have the same one. And that God is teaching us, and God's teaching you, and the word of God is alive and begging you to come on this journey and this experience, saying, how can you call this boring? There are so many ways to change our habits of how we approach scripture. And there are so many ways to change our rhythms of how we approach scripture. So as a pastoral staff, We've gotten together and we, we put a whole conglomerate of things together from, from different translations of the Bible to Bible apps and experiences. And those are all found on the Christ Community page on the, the internet at cccgreeley.org. Um, so if you're interested in checking those out that, that all the pastors put together, like here's how I approach you and here's what I do and here's my habits, it's all up on there. So I want to encourage you to do that because the Bible actually is really, 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 really amazing. And honestly, it causes my heart to burn. So, but, but, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. And we approached this a bit earlier, is that Jesus opened the scriptures, right? He opened the scriptures, which means no matter how hard you try and how much studying you do, it doesn't matter because Jesus opens them. He has the key, right? And we all have encountered those people at the coffee shops, you know, those old guys with the glasses that have fingerprints on them that want to talk about the end times but doesn't have a clue what they're talking about because the scriptures have not been open to them. You know what I'm talking about? And they study hard and they, they bang their heads against things and, and they've spent countless hours studying, right? But the scriptures are opened by Jesus and so are our minds, 
right? Because if we continue on in this, in this passage in the 24th chapter of Luke, it says this. That they encounter Christ again, it says this. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And this is what is written. That the Messiah will suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day and respond for the forgiveness of sins. And it will be preached in his name to all the nations. It says again, this term opened. And he opened their minds. First, he opened the scriptures, which causes their hearts to burn. And then he opens their minds, and it's the, oh, right? And it's Jesus that opens the scriptures. It's Jesus that opens our minds, and it is Jesus who causes our hearts to burn. And this is the difference between you and the rabbi, right? The rabbi can spend his entire life studying a small passage of scripture and come to the end of his life and say, I don't know. I don't know. But you can spend one moment encountering Christ and say, I know. I know. And then the Bible becomes this thing that sings and dances and invites you in and says, dance with me. You know? Yeah. Because it's at this point that it isn't about the Bible coming alive. It's about you coming alive, right? It's about you coming alive. In the never-ending story, let's go back. In the back, in the end of the never-ending story, it started out with was he is reading, and in the stories come to life, and he's in the story. But in the end, he closes the book and all the characters in the story are actually in his real life and like he's he's on a dragon that's going through his school you know it's like the story actually is about him it's not about this story who cares about this story it's about this and you and the church and and this is where it comes to life and take root and to breathe right So there comes a point in the experiencing of the Bible that the Bible is not not begging you to experience it anymore. You're begging the Bible to experience you, right? Because the truth of the Bible is that you should not be paging through the Bible. The Bible should be paging through you. You should not be trying to prove the Bible true. The Bible should be trying to prove you true. You should not be judging the Bible the Bible. The Bible should be judging you. You see what I'm going for here? Whenever we experience the Bible, we become alive. The Bible doesn't come alive. It already is. But we start to see our story as if it actually is something. Because it is. And Jesus opens this up and says, isn't this beautiful? The final part, um, the first time the term opened is in the Bible, is in the story of Genesis. Uh, It's in the story of Genesis after Adam and Eve sinned, right? And 
that they were these people, like that they thought that they were in some sort of situation, and they had been, and things were awesome, right? It's paradise. And then, then, then they sinned, and it says their eyes were opened, right? That they began to function as fullness, or diagonosity, or whatever, Domino's Pizza-y. And their eyes were open, and they realized that they were naked, and they were ashamed. And they were in the need of clothes. Whenever our eyes are open, whenever our minds are open, whenever the scriptures are opened, we come to the space of realizing we're not who we thought we were. There's a bunch of us out here who have done a bunch of public speaking in the nude. You know what I'm saying? Those dreams are actually true. Because the scriptures have not been opened. And we've done a lot of homework, and we've done a lot of arguing, and we've done a lot of debating, and we've done a lot of preaching. But that preaching did not come from the inspiration of Christ. It was not opened but by the hands and sacrifice of Christ. And it's hurt a lot of people. What would it be like for us to preach from a word that has been opened? What would it be like to invite people to dance with the scriptures? What would it be like to, a- to be able to speak the truth in confidence that truly the Bible is a manifesto of creativity, something to join in on, to experience in together, and it grounds us in home base that we will always know who our king is and we will always know where the kingdom is. And because of this, we will always know who we are and we can stand in confidence. One of my favorite things about the honeybee is how they get home. Do you know that a honeybee can travel up to three miles every day? It's amazing. Three miles every day. What they do before they, they leave the hive is something beautiful and amazing. Even though the hive typically doesn't ever move, the honeybee will come out of the hive and circle the hive. And the bees circle the hive differently, but the same bee will circle the hive in the same way for its entire life right? They will circle in the same direction, and that they will circle the same quantity of times around the hive. But each bee is different how they circle the hive. The hive, the most important part of the hive is the queen, right? Is the queen bee. The hive revolves around the queen bee. There are tons of hives out there. I don't want to scare you guys, but there's a lot of hives out there. And there's also a lot of queen bees out there. But how each honeybee knows its hive and knows its queen is every day before it leaves the hive, it comes out and it circles the same way every day. And as it's circling the same way, the same amount of times, it's drawing this calibration between it and the sun. There's like this plate in the head that's drawing this calibration thing. And so after this calibration happens, they do it every day. Because, because it forgets. It goes away. And so he has to do it every day. Around the hive, around the hive, around the hive. And during the day, it can go for the whole day. It is gone. 
three miles away. It can go anywhere. But it will always find its way back home to his queen. It will always find its way. And, and people say, if you move a hive a foot or two feet or three feet from the place that it had been, the odds are that that bee will never find its way home. And that it will continue to circle in the place that it did earlier that morning, as if to say, my queen was here. I know it was here. And I will continue to circle here until she comes back. May we be people who circle around our king in a rhythm and habits and in a goodness that says, I am dedicated and I will see your face. I know what your face looks like and I'll calibrate my heart. And I feel this with the engagement of scripture that throughout the day I can go anywhere, but I know where home is and I know where my family is and I know who my king is. And there's a lot of kings out there, but I know mine. And this is the calibration and the dance of Scripture that brings us into the beauty of an experience of Christ. And my heartfelt prayer for you is that you can join this experience and that you can dance. So I want to invite the campus pastors to come up at the other campuses and I want to invite you to pray um, with me now. Oh God, we love you and the amazing stories that you have created and that those stories are us. God, we thank you that you are a God of creativity and a God of inspiration, and a God of invitation. And God, we thank you that you are inviting us, you know, not to conform, but to create and to dance with you. God, we thank you that you are alive and that you speak to us and that you speak to our hearts. And if there are people here that, that are hearing God speak to them and she want prayer, um, there are, are people that would be happy to pray with you on either side of the auditorium. And there are people who would love to pray with you sitting right beside you. God, in this time, we ask you to do your best work. Do what you do and bring broken hearts back to life. Bring bored minds inspiration. And pour your love out upon this church. God, we love you. We love you, we love you, we love you. And we invite you here into us. Start turning the pages of our hearts. And we invite you to read.